Hey beautiful, welcome back to the podcast. Um, this is a bonus special episode for you. Um, this is actually part one uh, out of six parts of a series of episodes that I did on Patreon. So the, the Vibrant Flow fam. Um, so this is my first part of the recap and my discussion and sort of a lesson <laughs> on the lessons that we learned from reading The Queen's Code by Alison Armstrong. So this is an amazing episode for you to listen to. So many juicy lessons in this episode. So make sure you listen to the end. And if that seemed like something good, then you should really be checking out the other other episodes as well and read the book. But like doing both of those is like the best way to, you know, really learn the lessons in how to become a queen. And you know, I love to talk about that because we want to embrace that queen energy here, right? We want to rise from that um, princess energy, which is like, if you're thinking about this, like as a Disney princess, nothing wrong with that. But, but when I talk about like princess energy is, it's more like um, not, not completely like mature or not in your feminine power, um, not having a empowering relationship with men and the masculine and God. It's more of that, you know, I'm a victim or I, or people have to cater to me to feel good or, or you are feeling jealousy and all these things. These are still on the princess (laughs) level, right? So, for less than $20, you get all of the exclusive episodes that I have over on there and all the meditations, the affirmations that I'm doing there, that the relaxing audios that get you connected to your body. Those are just amazing. I love doing them and I'm going to post more of them over on there. So do check the link um, to get and to join my Patreon and um, without further ado, let's jump into the first part of the Queen's Code recap and lessons learned episode and discussion. And there is like two minutes of me rambling before I actually get into it. So bear with me. <laughs> I'll see you on the other side. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. I'm so excited to get this episode recorded finally. Um, um, Recapping the lessons that we've learned reading The Queen's Code by Alison Armstrong. And well, I very soon after starting to read this book, I realized that this is not going to be one episode. This is going to be a series of episodes or just at least a few episodes because they're there are so many lessons and so many gems in this book that I really wanted to like, 
uh, make proper notes so that you can listen to these episodes and like remind yourself of the lessons that you've been learning. Um, but while reading this book, on and also if you haven't read the book, you're still getting a lot by just listening to these episodes. So yeah, just wanted to put it out there, and I'm so glad that I chose this book. I mean, I I chose it completely intuitively. I haven't read this before. But it's been so good and and obviously not like for aesthetic reasons. It's it's a novel, right? But it's not really... I'm not reading it because it's like great writing or something like that. It's because it's didactic. It's teaching us and illustrating um, um, so many things that we need to learn. If we really want to, you know, step into our queendom. And sorry about my voice, or if my voice cracks or something, yeah, I haven't, honestly, I haven't said a word before recording this episode, it's it's the morning, or not really the morning anymore, um, 11pm, no, am, sorry, 11am <laughs> or something, but I haven't really spoken to anyone, but anyway, so... We're gonna get into it, and um, I'm gonna cover the first three chapters in this episode uh, because there there was already a lot I could have you know divided that into two episodes, but I figured I'm just gonna go with it. And um, so I'm assuming that you've read the book, and uh, so I'm not going to explain like what is happening plot wise but maybe referring to some of the things but i assume that you know the characters kimberly which is um the she's the main character i think she's been divorced or has been married um and her grandmother claudia is the one who is teaching kimberly and another woman called uh karen um the queen's code and what that what that means and that's what we're learning as well right and then kimberly also has a friend called melissa um who is married and has kids and and she has her uh, pro uh challenges um in that relationship but we'll get into that later right so the book starts off by the from the premise of understanding or Kimberly coming to the realization that she is actually frog farming. And um, frog farming is like the 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 first term that that's being used which means that uh were or women tend to turn princes into frogs. So the opposite effect that we actually usually go for. <laughs> right? Um, and she starts to realize this and then she wants Claudia to teach her like how to stop frog farming. And Claudia briefly in the beginning, she introduces the, the idea of the language of heroes and which is going to be like further explained later in the book. Um, and the language of heroes is what we need to learn when we're communicating and interacting with men if we want to live out the Queen's Code. So very briefly, the language of heroes is about resonating with a man's reason for being. And it is an attitude behind the language that also matters. So there's there's no like condescending attitude, obviously. And um, when using the language of heroes, we need to let go of anger, self-righteousness, self-deprecation. All of these must go. And honesty and authenticity 
sincerity obviously like this is something i i mentioned in in the episode of what men need obviously when we are speaking to the hero the king in a man we need to be sincere and we also have the don't beat yourself up rule that i'm going to mention uh, later on which means that when we um, mess up, when we do something that we know is not the right thing to do, which we all do sometimes, we need to stop beating ourselves up for that and let go, release that, um, forgive ourselves and, and ask for forgiveness if there are other people involved. Right. And the first homework, because Claudia is giving homework to Kimberly and Karen when they're going through these things a bit by bit. And the first one is, first, notice what you think about men, okay? I think we all have been, like, doing this for some time now. So we'll just um, skim over this. The second is, notice what is happening when you're angry, affronted, frustrated, hurt, disappointed by men. For something that they've done, something they've said, just the way they've, you know, interacted with you. Notice what is happening in you emotionally. And what is happening in that, like, in that situation, like, take that bird's bird's eye view (laughs) over the situation, right? And, yeah. And that's the first homework, right? And I will actually be posting these um, homeworks from the book on Patreon, like, as posts, um, so that we can, like, take bit by bit and be reminded of these homeworks so that we can think about them um, in our day-to-day lives. One of the things that was really um, insightful about their the women's conversation as they were talking with Claudia is that women often think that what is happening now or not happening now will continue like that forever. Because we have this, um, the, in the amygdala, a part of our brain, the, the worry part of our brain, as was referred, like, that, that was um, said in the book, um, this is more active in our brain than in the brain of men, right? So we tend to worry a lot more because of the biological, psychological difference between us and men. And that's why we sometimes tend to think that what is happening now will continue forever, which is not, you know, it's not true. Um, But yeah, that was really insightful. I loved that um, the author was like bringing this up, right? So for example, Karen is in the beginning, he thinks his husband is lazy, a slob, insensitive, selfish, inconsiderate, self-centered, you know, all of these things. And um, she's probably under the illusion that that's not going to change and it's absolutely terrible and it, it sucks. And Kimberly as well, she made a long list of observations about the men at work and how she had a ver- like very negative responses to the men that she was interacting with. Right. For example, every time I turn around, they're doing something immature or stupid. Right. And notice here that when Kimberly is talking to her friend Melissa, uh, Melissa feels connected to Kimberly when they are bonding over emasculation or emasculating men or, you know, the disappointments, the negativity. So this is something that we need to be aware aware of 
Um, are we bonding with our with our girlfriends over bitching about men? Right. We need to stop that. Right. So the first step is to notice your thoughts about men. And then there was a really interesting point about like when we say that men are this, men are that. Um, we need to ask ourselves the ask ourselves the question of as compared to what. So very often we are actually comparing men to women. And even more so, we are comparing men to the perfect person, which is a this elusive idea of perfection that we have, which is more like connected to our our like female nature. So we are expecting men to be perfect, the perfect person with a perfect amount of perfect qualities at the perfect time. And this sets us up for failure and for disappointment um, every time, right? Because no one is the perfect person. And when we're expecting men to be like perfect women, that is even more ridiculous, but that's what we do, <laughs> right? So I love that Claudia said that by not being able to see men's own brilliance, we as women cannot truly appreciate our own brilliance. This is an important point. So like to fully appreciate femininity, we need to appreciate masculinity as it is like as opposites, but as part of like this one whole unity, right? And then there was this interesting point that I find is very true, that women need and tend to look for an explanation when men are quote-unquote misbehaving. And we start creating an explanation because we need it. Like if he's acting like this, then we start explaining that. Like that we create an explanation like, well, he doesn't love me enough or he doesn't care. He's a slob. He just doesn't care enough. Um, and then we start to explain why that is with, for example, I am not something enough or I am too much of something. So we turn it against ourselves and then we start beating ourselves up for that. And it was a really insightful thing to be reminded that women are biologically, psychologically more externally motivated, which drives this behavior right that we we look for motivation and and uh, like a validation from outside ourselves and you know socially uh, within tribes women have like we've needed that acceptance and uh, from the other women so that we're not excluded from the group which would be then uh, which would then be uh, very unsafe, right? So women are more externally motivated, unconsciously, very often, right? Whereas men are more internally motivated, right? So they really need that internal motivation to start doing something. So putting pressure, especially as women, putting pressure on men, like trying to motivate a man to do something with that kind of pressure, external pressure, it doesn't work. It does not motivate them because they're more internally motivated, right? So now at this point, we have another homework. And again, I'm going to post these um, uh, during April so that we're reminded of these. 
first um, homework. Notice when you think men are misbehaving, quote unquote, and examine what you're expecting them to do and be. What are the expectations you have in that situation when men are not behaving the way you'd like? And then observe how the idea that men are mis misbehaving, quote unquote, creates the need to punish them, right? Oh my goodness, like, yeah. Like, have, have we not been doing this? I think we have on some levels, even if it's just subtle, subtle ways we punish men. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and notice how you punish men. Like now and in the past, think about how you've punished men in the past or how you do that now. Um, and then observe other women and how they are punishing men. And notice the effect on men during and after punishing them. What happens in a man when they are being punished by a woman with silent treatment or emasculation or whatever it is that we, we use to punish them. Right. Okay. So I also loved when Claudia said that we very often assume that people know when they have hurt us and that they don't care when in fact they are actually unaware of you know that they've hurt us and this really brings power back to us like we need to reclaim our power because when when we are letting the hurt drive us that we've experienced we are giving our power away. We're being powerless and we're acting out of that in indignation or being hurt. So we need to be responsible for getting what we need before that anger or resentment or bitterness starts to build up and accumulate over time. Because people don't, and especially men, they don't always know if they've hurt us, right? So the question really is, how long do you want to punish someone with um, when, when you're, no one else is suffering for it but you? Like that is the question. That is the question. Right. So when we want to ask questions from men, like we want to find the explanation for their quote-unquote misbehavior or whatever they've been doing wrong, um, we need to understand, and this is one of the biggest points that we need to learn from this book. Men are single focused beings. What this means is that they commit to one thing and they're focusing on it fully. So if you ask a question from a man, he will commit to that question. Um, he will start really thinking about that question and... And, you know, if you throw more questions at him, if you start, like, rephrasing the questions and, and, and turning, it, turning the question into multiple choice questions and whatnot, he's just, like, confused, like, what to focus on. Because it takes more time for a man to, you know, come to a conclusion or to an answer because they're really committed to that one thing that you first threw at them. Single focus beings, right? And what Claudia wanted to get across when she was teaching is that if you start 
by assuming that they have a good reason for whatever they've been doing. It changes everything. And we usually don't have that uh, assumption, right? Um, and it's, it's something that we need to learn to, you know, have or take on. If you start by assuming that they have a good reason, it changes everything. So uh, you can, if you want to ask something from a man and you don't understand why they've been behaving a certain way, start by saying, I assume you have a good reason to do X or be like X or whatever. I'm trying to understand better. Would you be willing to tell me why you did such and such that way? And obviously we really have to um, avoid any condescending uh, tone of voice. So the way you say it has to be sincere and open, right? I assume you have a good reason to blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to understand better. Would you be willing to tell me why you did such and such that way? Right. And then just listen. No multitasking. No multiple choice questions, no add-ons, no paraphrasing, no putting the question in 10 different forms and trying to squeeze an answer out of a man because they're not responding fast enough. It's so interesting because it usually takes time for a man to, you know, really reply back. And um, I've noticed this with my husband. Like, I assume that he should be able to give me an answer immediately. When in fact, he needs that time to process, to commit to the first question and give you an answer when he's ready. Right. So no multitasking, because that again is disrespectful if you ask something and you start doing something else. No multiple choice questions, no add-ons, nothing. Just listen. This is so powerful. And I loved how um, Kimberly... It was like illustrated how Kimberly used this with a male superior or supervisor, his, sorry, her boss at work and how that changed, you know, changed the game. The, the, the boss was just like um, wondering, like, how is she like actually listening to me? Like, uh, sorry, he was positively surprised uh, by Kimberly's openness and her willingness to listen, right? And then when Kimberly was um, uh, at Melissa's, um, Melissa actually got angry at Kim for listening to her husband, like Melissa's husband, uh, and his work, you know, when he was talking about his work and rambling on and on about his work, because she wanted to bond over her disappointments because she thinks that her husband is a slob uh, or or doesn't talk about anything else but his work and you know she wanted to bond over disappointments again instead of actually start listening to her husband herself and and her husband actually was really excited to talk to Kim because she was willing to listen so yeah willingness to listen and actually listening with patience it changes everything so powerful. Right, moving on to chapter three. Okay. It was really interesting that Kim and Karen, Claudia, when they were like going over their sessions and, and, and discussing Queen's Co- the Queen's Code, that um, they sort of noticed and pointed out that women often feel quote unquote safer 
when men are weak which is what we see and you know experience after punishing men we take their power away right and this is you know of course this comes from a wounded place it's not actual safety it's just the perceived safety that we experience when men are weak and um, yeah not real safety not something that is good for all of us right so his power is removed preemptively and this is how most women relate to men which is really really sad right that we feel like we need to take men's power away to feel safe and obviously this is creating that vicious cycle that we see on a societal level, which is creating so many problems in like in, in relationships, but also like on a more grand, like not grand, but, you know, bigger level, like a societal level, right? It's really sad. And I'm thinking about like how feminism has really poured oil into this issue and into the flames that, you know, are consuming us and making things so much more um, difficult than they need to be right because we are taking away men's power we're thinking that we're safer that way if we do that huge problem huge problem and um, it just leaves us um, dissatisfied right and an important point obviously which Claudia brought up is that there are dangerous men it's true and and some of us have really difficult terrible childhood experiences or or you know mildly terrible I don't know just you know childhood experiences or even from our adulthood that have um, led us to conclude that defense is the way to go and the important point here or the really interesting point was that because men are single focused they can't defend the woman that they would love to defend um, and defend themselves at the same time. So if we are emasculating and castrating a man with our behavior, with our words, with our disrespect, with our, uh, you know, ignoring them, um, they have this um, automatic response of defending themselves because they feel like their power is being taken away. Right. And so they cannot at the same time defend you, which is what they actually want to do, right? So the sword we use is castration, which means to deprive of strength, power or efficiency, to weaken. And one of the uh, synonyms for this is emasculation. So castration, emasculation pretty much the same thing castration sounds a lot worse but it actually was pointed out that we need to use the word for what it is because that's what we do or have done in the past right so when, what men are experiencing when they are being emasculated or castrated is this pressure with no relief that is pro provoking their primitive response right so again happening on uh, on a subconscious level right primitive response provoking that and what we think is like why can't they control themselves and blaming them for that 
But what we really need to understand is that castration is what brings out the worst in men in a very primitive way and a primitive subconscious level. So we, it's not that we, like, we can't really blame them for something that is almost automatic. Not to say that men don't, you know, need to control themselves. Obviously they do. But we need that understanding so that we can support them in being the best versions of themselves and in supporting their manhood and their masculinity, which is what we do or what we want to do as queens, right? We want to do that. So castration is the foundation of frog farming. That is how we turn princes into frogs and wonder what happened. Like, why is the wonderful man I met, why is he gone? Why do I have this slob um, in place of him? Like, <laughs> So the act of diminishing men and the attitude that they deserve to be diminished. That is the issue that we need to deal with as women, right? It's our, our responsibility to get rid of that um, attitude that they deserve to be diminished and understand where that comes from. And this is what the book does, right? So castration is how all women bring out the worst in men. The worst in men. That's how we do it, unconsciously, without realizing it. Being sucked into this vicious cycle without realizing it. So I'm so glad that we're like doing this and, and reading through this and learning these things because these have the power to change our lives and the, the trajectory of our relationships with um, our family members, our friends, our co-workers and our romantic partners, right? So this is so so powerful I love it so then we have the long-term effects of castrating men so what you know emasculating and castrating men uh, leads to is they start responding to women in a way that is opposite of their nature because they actually want and pursue intimacy and connection with women but if we emasculate them they start keeping distance right and then they may start competing with women instead of cherishing them again notice here that men actually naturally want to cherish women but if they feel like their power is being taken away constantly in subtle or overt ways they start competing then they start experiencing anticipation with suspicion instead of trust, right? And they start treating women with disdain rather than respect. Again, notice here that men actually want to respect women. They do respect women naturally if they're like uh, coming from a healthy place, right? But if we're constantly being, you know, emasculating them or castrating them, they start to treat you with disdain um, automatically without realizing it because it's a defense mechanism, right? And then they may start relating to women from fear 
instead of love, right? From fear instead of love. And the fear, as we know, is a powerful um, driver of, you know, behavior that is, you know, leading to negative um, outcomes, right? And with all of this, um, when we're starting to realize, okay, how much we've been doing this or, or how much we want to prune away from our behavior, I mean, I'm not perfect, I've, I still make mistakes and... I love the fact that, or the, the way Claudia pointed out that compassionate humor is really powerful when we're battling our primitive defense reactions. Because emasculation, the way we feel like we need to castrate and emasculate men and take their power away, is a primitive defense reaction, just like their response to us then is a primitive reaction. And all of this happens on a subconscious level and we're and then if we're not aware of that, then it creates more problems and frustrations and, and misunderstandings that accumulate into resentment and all of that. So compassionate humor towards yourself and others is really important. And especially with us uh, recovering perfectionists, we need this. We need that grace, that humor, compassion, compassion towards ourselves and others and, and the men in our lives, understanding that we are on a journey of unlearning the patterns that we've, you know, accumulated over the years. All right. So then we have the immediate effects of castrating men. So when a man is being castrated or emasculated, their power is somehow being taken away, they experience a sudden loss of power. And the sudden, the, the feeling of losing your power is accompanied by an emotional response. Because for a man to lose their power is primitively, it is enraging. So there may be that emotional response, which is fury or, or rage or anger or, or something else, right? So we need to understand that. So when we're experiencing or witnessing a man um, experiencing this kind of emotional response, what we can, you know, look for is, did he somehow experience a loss of power? feeling that his power has been taken away because it is for a man for a masculine man it is enraging it is so against their like the their nature and how they actually feel good about themselves and at home in themselves so sometimes when a man is responding in this way and in a very emotional way uh, with anger or rage or fury and they may even throw something at a wall or <laughs> or hit a table or something like that um, it's interesting that they usually they throw away the thing that they could actually hurt someone with or they punch a table instead of an actual person so even in that situation most men are trying to protect the people around them subconsciously or consciously right but they just have this this really strong emotional response that they have to get out because in fact what they have been experiencing is hurt and uh, that loss of power 
So then Kimberly and the other women were starting to like think like, okay, so are we actually safer when we don't emasculate men? Because what we've been thinking in the past is that emasculation is our best defense when in fact it is our worst defense because it brings out the worst in men and perpetuates and, you know, creates more problems than there were to begin with, right? So uh, an important point again, that our response, our like, yeah, our automatic response, which sometimes is to emasculate a man, is sort of like a knee-jerk response that comes out of fear of men's power. So it comes from this place of unsafety, feeling unsafe, and feeling like we need to defend ourselves, but we don't know how to do it in the best way. So that is just what we gravitate towards, especially if that has been modeled by the women in our lives and, and societally. And, and, you know, it's we know that it's, <laughs> emasculation is very popular. Like, we see it everywhere and, and people are not aware of it, but that's what we're doing here. We're bringing that awareness again so that we can actually build unity between men and women right so a knee-jerk response out of fear of men's power so understanding that is key because then we just we just start beating ourselves up and and we don't understand that okay we are dealing with very like these primitive subconscious uh, responses that are very human but we need to understand how these are different between men and women right all right and then again, we have homework. <laughs> so the first point, notice how you castrate men, how you, you know, start weakening men or try to weaken men, right? Or take their power away in some way. Notice how and when other women are doing this. And I, I bet you are doing this already. You're seeing and noticing how women do this all the time without realizing it and and awareness is such a powerful motivator when we start realizing, okay, what is actually happening here? Observe how other women react when they witness a man being castrated. This is a really interesting one. Notice how your friends react or the people around you, the women around you. How do they react when they see, for example, another woman castrating a man or emasculating a man? Are they all on board or are they sort of flinching what is the reaction and notice how men respond to being castrated start noticing this everywhere you go at work um, with your friends with your you know at church wherever watch for a reduced ability to produce results in men if they're being castrated or emasculated because that is often what happens so in the next episode, we're going to go over th over uh, how we actually emasculate men, all the ways that we can do that, and and what is the storytelling phase of the hunt, and and what is the connection between emasculation and objectification, like men uh, ob objectifying women. What is the um, connection there? Right, so I'll see you there. <laughs>